Good morning, may it be a good morning, may it good be a good day for Klal Yisrael, Am Yisrael, we should hear Besoros Tovos Yeshuas V'Nechamos, please God, a day in which the hostages are all returned home, all of them, in which our soldiers can go home after a sweeping victory, please God. I want to thank our Parsha series sponsors for the year, Becky and Avi Katz and family, a member of David Grossman, Becky's father, our learning is Le'iloi Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manash, we're very grateful to the Katz family. Also this morning, sponsored by Golda Sadowski, in honor of Rabbi Yehuda Leib and Doris Kurtzer, our dear friends, Rabbi and Mrs. Kurtzer, her dear aunt and uncle, should be well, and it is great to have them back. We are in Parshas Vayetze, page 144, Art Scroll Stone Chumash, and the book of Bereshis continues to unfold. The narrative, the introduction to our Avos and Imos, our matriarchs and patriarchs, Maisa Avos Sim and all that they went through and go through, all that we're learning, studying, extracting, extrapolating from them, are not mere lessons of the past, they're not parts of history, but rather they are instructions for our destiny. They tell us what, how we can live going forward. They tell us about our lives now and going forward. Stay afterwards, please. We're going to complete the entire Sefer Tehillim as we do each and every weekend after every shear. 30 people stay. We divide all of Tehillim and finish it rather quickly. And we continue to make available to you in the lobby Israeli flags, American flags. Put both on your car. Stand proudly as patriots of America and Americans who support, of course, Israel. The very opening of Parshas Vayetze. Vayetze Yaakov mi Be'er Sheva, Vayelech Charan. And the Parsha begins, Yaakov leaves Be'er Sheva, he departs and he heads towards Charan. And we begin with the Tefer Shmuel. We've been learning this wonderful Sefer, which we only have the first few Parshas. I don't know if more are out, but they generously shared with me only through Vayechi, through Sefer Breshis. The Tefer Shmuel of Shmuel Berenbaum was the Rosh Hashiva of the Mir in Brooklyn. He has incredible insights, really beautiful, this Tefer Shmuel. I highly recommend it, and I'm very grateful for it. Rashi says, Vayetze, Yaakov departed, Yaakov went out. Why do we care? Why do we need to know what gate he left from, where he departed from? All we care about is, Vayelech, he went, Charana. Why does it matter that he left? All that should matter is where he went. One of the most famous Rashi's in the Torah. You all certainly know it. This teaches that when a person leaves a place, it has an impact. When someone departs, it makes an impact. When a person, when a righteous one is in the city, that presence is felt, they are the glory, they are the righteousness, they are the splendor of the city. But when a person leaves, when that righteous person leaves, so with them departs the splendor, the righteousness, the glow, all those wonderful things. It asks Rav Shmuel Berenbaum, the Tefer Shmuel, Tzarech Bir, why are we teaching this lesson specifically when the righteous person leaves? Did we neglect? Did we take for granted? Did we forget when the righteous person was present in the city what that meant? The influence they had? The difference that they made? We're first noting and noticing their impact when they leave? Why not talk about it while they're there? Yaakov Avinu lived in Be'er Sheva. How long? How long? Gets the membership award. How long was he a member in Be'er Sheva? 63 years. 63 years. That is a membership. I don't know, you get one year free or something. That's pretty good. 
That's like going to yoga rendezvous, how many days in a row? Carvel, how many days in a row? Menchies, I'm in trouble, I'm not leaving anyone out. Whatever the reward program is, 63 years of living in Beersheba, that is incredible longevity. Surely, Yaakov's presence, 63 years in the city of Beersheba, made a difference. We wait after 63 years, he retires, he moves down to Boca, and that's when we say, ooh, we're going to really miss him in Tinek. We're going to really miss him in the five towns. 63 years, he says, nobody said boo. 63 years, nobody noticed I lived there. 63 years, I barely got a good Shabbos. And now when he leaves, Tzadik Osaroshim, ooh, we're going to really miss you. Why don't we talk about it while he's there? You could ask, says, Roshmo Beren, but moreover, the Gemara at the end of Mesech Sota doth memtest on Rabbonon, Mishames Rabbi Eliezer, Nigna Sefer Torah, Mishames Rabbi Yeshua, Batla Eitz Machshava, Mishames Rabbi Kiva, Batla Zerai Torah. The Gemara there lists several righteous people when they expired, when they died, when they left this world. With them, we lost a certain quality. With them, we lost certain exceptional midah. We lost wisdom. Why do we talk about when they died, the world was bereft. When they died, the world was lost of that quality. It was absent. There was a vacuum of that midah. Why do we wait until they die to talk about what the world is missing? Why don't we say when they lived, the world really had contact and access with this incredible quality? Says the Tefer Shmuel. This new shul is going to be huge. Because had the Pasuk said that the Metzias of Tzadik in the city is what makes the quality, let's say we talked about all 63 years Yaakov was there. Wow, what a difference, what an impact he made. So you would have known that while he lived there, he had an influence. But you might not have known that when he left, anyone noticed? I might have come to the other conclusion. That righteous person, their righteousness was so potent, so powerful, so strong, that even long after they left, it could still be felt. I wouldn't have known that once they left, it was gone, it was absent. I would have concluded exactly the opposite, that their powerful, potent influence was so strong, even after they left, it was felt. What's the Torah trying to tell us? You know, it's very sad to me, as a Rav, I officiate a lot of funerals, I attend a lot of funerals, and more often than I'd like to admit, I learn about, hear about someone and I say, I wish I knew this while they were alive. How much I would have, how many questions I would have wanted to ask? How many stories I'd want to hear? How much inspiration, motivation I wish I would draw? I wish I knew this about the person while they were alive. It's only when we know that they're going to leave, we lose the access and the opportunity. That's what makes us appreciate, take advantage while they're here. The Torah is trying to communicate. You have a tzaddik be'ir. If there are righteous men and women who live in your city, in your vicinity, if they're Holocaust survivors, whose emuna and bitachon and their capacity 
to endure, the resilience to rebuild, take advantage of every moment. Because don't ever think that the Roshem, that the impact, the influence that they make is so strong that you can always get it later. Even after they're gone, you'll continue to draw from it. Know that when a tzaddik leaves, either they leave because they've moved and migrated or they leave because they've, we've lost them, know that we've lost their influence. Once they leave, then everyone says, ooh, we really miss them. Ooh, something's missing. Ooh, something's absent. Oh, I wish. Why didn't we take advantage? Why didn't we come close? Why didn't we learn and listen? That's what the Torah is teaching us here. When a tzaddik leaves, know that. And why is Rashi teaching us that? Not only a piece of history that when Yaakov left Be'er Sheva, after 63 years, he won the lifetime membership award, 63 straight years, Yaakov, ooh It's not just to teach us history, it's to teach us in our time. It's a partial perspective for today. Look around. There are amazing people and they won't always be here. Please God, they'll make Aliyah and they'll live in Israel. And we'll follow them, but maybe not to the same city. Or... After 120, they're going to leave this world. Don't wait until it's too late, because when a tzaddik leaves a city, it makes a roshem. Don't wait until we lose that opportunity. The Lav Oseh of Druk, in his wonderful new Sefer, also addresses this Rashi. Know when a tzaddik leaves. Listen to his insight. Why didn't we teach this earlier? Avram. Avram migrated and moved. Why don't we talk about Avram when he left the city? Ooh, what a party. They made a goodbye party because they felt his absence. They knew they would miss him so. When Yitzchak moved, oh wow, they felt it. Why do we wait until Yaakov to learn this lesson? Why do we wait until Yaakov to draw and to teach this teaching? Who's the first person that we learn, the first test that we're taught, is move, migrate, pick up and leave. Why did the Torah say, and then they really missed Avram? Because when a tzaddik leaves, it makes a roshim. Why don't we talk about his yitziah min ha-makom? Yitzchak, v'yi ra'av ba'aretz, mavad ha-rav ha-rishon, v'yelech Yitzchak elavi melech, melech plishtim gerara. Yitzchak also moved, he migrated. Why don't we talk about when Yitzchak left, when he moved to gerara, why don't we talk about, ooh, it made such a difference, ooh, they missed him. Why do we wait until Yaakov? Why was that Roshim? Why was the impact of, y- of Yaakov's migration felt even more than Avram and Yitzchak? Listen to what Rav Druk says. Because the Torah is trying to teach us the opposite of what we would have thought. Counterintuitive. Avram and Yitzchak, we don't have to be taught. You know why? Because Avram, what was Avram's personality? Avram was a great influencer. Avram had an enormous following online and offline. He was a public speaker, scholar in residence, sought after, flown around the world. Avram had his soapbox and he got up and he preached and he taught ethical monotheism. Avram was a superstar. Everybody knew Avram. So Avram would move. Uh, It's obvious. Irreplaceable. Everybody is replaceable. 
Everybody's replaceable. But Avram, irreplaceable, superstar, spokesperson, transformational leader. Avram's charisma, it'd be obvious that if Avram moved and migrated, if he left, you'd feel it. You'd know it. But what about Yaakov? What about Yaakov? What did Yaakov do? Did Yaakov have a popular podcast? Was Yaakov on a soapbox preaching and teaching and darshaning? Was Yaakov transforming the world with his charisma? Yaakov was an ish tam yoshev oalem. He sat and he steigt. He was in the base medrash from morning till night. So you'll say, he took up space in the base medrash. We didn't really hear from him much. We didn't see him much. He sat and he steigt and he learned. One should know that the protective element and quality, the power of the kol kol Yaakov, the Torah and the tefillah, what it does for a community, for a city, that invisible, seemingly invisible, the person that was dismissed, the person that just sat in the corner taking up space, they're sitting and steiging, they're learning, they're davening, that is what is protecting the city, the community. And when they leave, uwa, you'll notice. Not only because you'll notice that their chair is empty at the kolal boker in the afternoon kolal in the night seder, their chair is empty at the shiurim and the learning, not just because you'll notice their chair is empty and you're missing that person, their kol Torah, their contribution to the symphony of Torah, but because metaphysically the impact that they made through the righteousness that they had. So Avram left. It's obvious that when he left, you'd feel it. But Yaakov, one might have thought this meek, quiet, modest, soft-spoken masmid, uh, who's going to really notice the answer is the community will notice when they see, when they feel that he's no longer, that he's no longer there. Retroactively. Then Rav Jerk offers another interpretation. From here we learn that when a righteous person leaves, it makes a roshim. So what it means is that when the righteous person's in the city, sometimes we fail to realize and recognize and appreciate just what kind of impact they're making. We think they're modest and soft-spoken. We don't feel their charisma, their leadership. Their name is not listed for their monumental contribution and donation. They're just sitting in the corner, steiging, learning. Their righteousness, they're just davening. They come a little earlier. They stay a little bit later. They say a little more Tehillim. They just walk around with their tzidkus. And we don't even realize. Hadra, hoda, ziva. We don't even realize the glory, the splendor, the impact that it makes. That's why it says, Vayetza Yaakov Mersheva. az nikar It was only when they leave that the community, the city gets a little darker you lose a little bit of that light. It loses a little bit of that radiance. They don't know any other way. They take it for granted. We take it for granted. We don't begin to appreciate what we have until it's missing, until we go elsewhere. We have an incredible community, amazingly diverse and truly extraordinary men and women. And you know when people learn that and realize that and first appreciate that? When they go elsewhere. Or when those people leave, 
they leave because they move or they leave because we've lost them, then people say, wow, you know, there's something special. There's something special. We shouldn't have to take for that. That's what happened for Yaakov Avinu too, was Yitziyasu Minayir Osa Roshim. You understand Rav Druk is being medayik in the language. Yitziyasu, it's when they leave. What do you mean? The Roshim was created when they were here. Why is it that the Yitziyah makes the Roshim? You hear the diak? What should make the impact is while they live here. Not when they leave, it makes an impact. It's when they leave, only now does it make an impact how impactful they were. All along they were making an impact, but nobody noticed. We took it for granted. It was simply a given. It's only when they leave that now it makes an impact of just how impactful they were. And that's why the language is, The Roshim it makes is just how impactful they were. Rav Druk goes on a little bit more, but we're going to move on. We're going to get past the first Pasuk this week. New commitment. Yeah, yes. Perchav Ches, Pasuk Yeral, second Pasuk of our parasha. So Yaakov left. He left the city. We don't just, we're not just taught Vayela Harana. We're not just given his destination. We're also given his departure. Vayifka b'makom v'yel sham ki v'hashemesh. And he encounters the place and he rests his head because the sun had set. He takes the stones of the city, of this place. He puts it under his weary head. And he takes a shluf. He puts his head down. He puts his head down. It's time for a nap. It's time for a nap. What is this makom? What's he doing? He's taking a nap. When we think of our most righteous people, we think they never sleep. When we learn about Reb Chaim's schedule and Rav Yashiv's schedule and this one's schedule and the other righteous person's schedule, what are we taught? What do the biographies say? Superhuman. They never slept. We're introduced to Yaakov. And what's our introduction? He says, I got a chavrusa with the shlufta Rebbe. I got a chavrusa with my pillow, with the shinever. Shena, I'm going to sleep. That's Yaakov, sleep. So Rashi tells us, This tzaddik is going to come to my inn and he's going to leave and he's not going to have a good sleep? That's considered inhospitable. Now the sun, was it set to set? Was it scheduled to set? It set early. God interfered with nature because he wanted Yaakov to go to sleep. Lavdil, you take the daytime flight to Israel. One o'clock, Elal, Miami, Tel Aviv. It's a rough flight. Why is it a rough flight? Because you fly from one o'clock and you land at 1 a.m. and you land right when you'd be going to sleep, except that it's seven o'clock in the morning and you're supposed to be starting your day. It's a rough, I'm not asking anyone to have pity on anyone who gets to go on that flight. I'm just saying it's a rough schedule. So what do you do? What do they do? It's remarkable, the new airplanes, they serve you your meal, and then they, they press some magic button, and the windows, even if the shade is open, it's pitch black. And all of a sudden they dim the lights, and it's now two o'clock in the afternoon, and it feels like the middle of the night. You know what else makes it feel like the middle of the night? A couple glasses of wine, an ambient, a little, uh, no, what's the vitamin? You don't even need the prescription. A little melatonin. Every Jew's got a whole pharmacy on every LL flight. Whatever you need, it's a traveling CVS, the whole flight. So they do, 
The Ribbon Shalom says, I want Yaakov to sleep. He hasn't slept in a long time. He's got to sleep. What will I do? So, Bahashemesh, we're going we're gonna to make the windows dark. It's going to feel dark. Why? I understand on the El Fly why they do that. First of all, the more asleep you are, the less they have to take care of you and hear you and be bothered by you. But why, why do they? I understand the Allah fight. You're going to land and you need some shluf. Hashem had to make the sun set. Hashem had to make Yaakov sleep. What's going on over here? A miracle? You know what Hashem was modeling for us? What kind of hospitality? What kind of host he was? Rashi quotes this Chazal. Rashi, it's later on Pasuk Yedzayim, but Rashi says, Kodesh Baruch Hu says, Yaakov's visiting in my house. Yaakov's under my care. And I'm not going to make a nice bed for him. I'm not going to have the window shades for him. I'm not going to set the thermostat for him. I'm not going to have the machine with the white noise for him. I'm not going to create the environment as perfect as I can for him to shluf. Ooh, that's what yeah, Hashem does a miracle for? Yes. Hashem interferes, intervenes with nature to be the greatest machnas orach, to model for us the value of hospitality. That's what the Gemara in Soto Yavdala tells us. What does it mean we're supposed to emulate, imitate? We're supposed to follow in Hashem's footsteps. Is that really possible? It says Hashem, God is an all-consuming God. So how do you imitate? How do you emulate Hashem? We imitate Hashem, not in His core character, that we can't. He's infinite and omnipotent. How do we imitate Hashem? By following His behavior. Hashem clothes the naked, clothes the naked. He visits the sick, visits the sick. He comforts the mourner, comforts the mourner. And similarly learn here, says Rebbe Hashem went to such an extent Hashem went to such a crazy extent that He interfered with the rules of nature to make the conditions as optimal as possible to offer the best hospitality He could. Why did He do that? So that you and I will follow those footsteps. Put in the effort. Make the conditions in your home as optimal as possible. Find out the dietary restrictions of your guests. Make them their favorite foods. Put the snacks in their room. Leave the extra water bottle. Leave your comfort zone and set the thermostat to their liking, even though it'll cost you a few more shekel with FPNL. If a Baruch Hu changed the rules of nature to model that what does Hachnasus Orchim demand? Not be grateful I gave you a room. Be grateful I gave you a meal. Get what you get and you don't get upset. Kodesh Baruch Hu didn't say that. He said, Psh, you're under my care? Ooh, I'm going to make it dark. I'm going to do the blackout shades. I've wondered, how come nobody brought tree sim to America? Why didn't nobody bring tree sim? You know in Israel, the tree sim, the little rope, and you let, now it's electric, fancy schmancy. But the rope, that you lower the tree sim, they black out, Shabbos morning, you wake up, it's 11 o'clock in the morning, you thought it was the middle of the night, you missed all the shul because it was pitch black in the room. How come no one brought tree sim to America? I'm giving you the business, 10% back to the shul. <laughs> Get Trisim to be hurricane approved. Bring him to America, to Florida, Texas, the Panhandle. I give, I'm giving it to you. I don't have time, I don't have the head. Your business, 10% back to the shul. 
Kodesh Baruch Hu says, I made it optimal conditions, that's what Achnasas Orchem means. He did that to teach us, that's what it has to mean for us as well. Rashi continues, Vayikach me'avne ha'makom, Yaakov took from the stones of the place, and he put them around his head. A son came in, Marzev Savi Vlorosho, Shirim ne'achayas ros, why did he put it around his head? As a little boundary, a little barrier, a little protection, in case the wild animals would come in the middle of the night, Yaakov would be a-okay. Why? Because he put some stones around his head. What happened with these stones, with these rocks? They started to fight with one another. This one said, I want him to put his head on me. And this one said, it's not fair, I want him to put his head on me. And they were arguing and debating and fighting and vying which one would be the one that the great Yaakov would rest his head on. Kirsch Baruch Hu didn't say, what in the world is the matter with you? First of all, stones don't talk. Stones don't have feelings. He didn't say, what's the matter with you? What are you fighting about? You get what you get and you don't get upset. Whoever gets the luck of the draw, whoever has the mazel that Yaakov puts his head on them, the rest of you be quiet. Shash still. He doesn't say that. What did Hashem do? Miyad asan HaKadosh Baruch Hu Eben Achas. Immediately Hashem combined them and integrated them into one stone. And that's why it says he took the stone, the stone, it began. Where did Rashi get this from? How did Chazal know this? They were bothered by a question that you'd been fast asleep to. What was the question? The Pasuk begins, Avnei is Lashon Rabbim, plural. And then it ends by saying, So which is it? Did he take the plural stones? Or Ha'evan, the one singular stone. Elamai, they concluded, began as several stones. They had this fight, this wrestling match. Hashem combined them into one. And then there was one. Says the What was Yaakov thinking? An animal, a wild animal is going to come attack him. I have no idea what wild animal he was worried about. A hyena, a rhinoceros. A lion, a tiger, a cheetah, I have no idea what he was worried about. A lizard, an iguana. Whatever he was worried about, whatever he was worried about, the little three-inch stone was not going to protect him. What was going on? What exactly was Yaakov thinking? Did that ever bother you? We've all learned this Rashi our whole lives. But we don't stop to ask, what exactly is Yaakov thinking? How is this going to protect him? First of all, why did he only put it around his head? What about the rest of his body? His legs, his arms, he was willing to give up? His heart, his lungs, his liver, he was willing to give up? Why only around his head? Yaakov didn't have time to do more. He couldn't build a fortress. He couldn't build a shelter. He didn't have time. The sun was setting unexpectedly. The sun was setting, not on schedule. He opened his app, his sitter app, his maizmanim, and he said, what's going on over here? It's setting earlier than it's supposed to. He didn't have time to build a fortress or a shelter. All he had time to was to put these simple stones around his head. So he did the hishtadlas he could in that moment. There's a powerful lesson to be learned here. And what is that lesson? In life, Sometimes all we can do is our hashtadlas. In this moment, maybe more is demanded of us. Maybe we would be better and smarter to do more, but we can't. 
We don't have the energy, we don't have the time, we don't have the resources. This is what we can do. This is the Ishtadlis, this is the initiative we can take. And what Hashem wants us to do and feel is, once we take our initiative, once we do our part, we let go and let God. So you look and you say, it's silly. A bunch of stones around his head. But Yaakov didn't feel that was silly. Yaakov said, if Hashem wants wild animals to harm me, they could harm me even if I build a fortress. If he wants to protect me, he'll protect me even if I have nothing. Ah, so why bother with these stones? Because the lesson in life is that you have to do hishtadlis. I'm in the middle of my article for this week about this. Should we sit back and learn and say to Hillam and tell the army, what are you doing? Come back to yeshiva. Tell the Hezder boys, put down your gun, go learn. And everything's going to be okay. That's not the way of the world that we live in. That was not the way of the world when Yaakov confronts Esau. He prepares in three ways for war, diplomacy, and tefillah. Throughout Tanakh, David HaMelech is a warrior with an army. And David HaMelech has generals. And Tanakh is filled with Jewish kings. They don't say, put down the weapon, go learn. Don't go to the doctor. Sit and say Tehillim. There is an extreme version, and there maybe is a level of righteousness of people who could qualify, but that is not the prescription for Am Yisrael as a whole. We're taught and told Hishtadlis. You have to balance Hishtadlis and Bitachon. So, anyone who thinks, close the Tehillim, why bother? We've got the greatest army, the most unparalleled IDF, military superiority, their resolve, their tenacity, their resilience. They are absolutely incredible. So close the Sefer, close the Tehillim. We've got the incredible army is wrong. That is not what we believe. We believe that it is Hashem. When a person's in surgery, we daven that the surgeon is successful. We daven who is the one who will guide his hand? Hashem. So we don't say, I got the best surgeon. I got the best doctor. I flew to the best hospital. I got the doctor you can never get into. Everybody knows the Jackie Mason, all of Shalom routine. My doctor is so good, nobody could ever see him. He's impossible, you can't get in. Everybody knows. What do we do? You go to the best doctor on the planet, and then you go to the waiting room during the surgery, and you pour out your heart in the Tehillim. And it is the combination of the doctor's expertise, of the doctor's years of experience, of the doctor's qualifications, being guided by the Ribbono Shalom and Artfila, it's that combination that brings the result. And has anyone ever said, never say thank you to the doctor? Because if you thank the doctor, you might mistakenly believe that it's the doctor who saved rather than Hashem. That's not our Ashkafa. Our Ashkafa is Hakar Satov. You say thank you to the doctor, because Har Shluchum Lamakum. Hashem chose that doctor to bring that healing. We have to daven for and endlessly thank our precious soldiers who put their lives on the line and who are the shluchim of Hashem. We are in awe and we have endless gratitude and we will forever be in debt to them. And there's not a contradiction between this hashkafa. I have a lot more to say if I ever get to this article for it. That's always been our way. To indeed never fear putting our soldiers on a pedestal, never fear being grateful toward them, while at the same time recognizing who guides their hand who brings their success, who protects our people, it's Hashem. You know who knows that best? The soldiers. That's why they're putting on those tzitzis and asking for those tefillin and singing and dancing to Altira Yisrael, Ein lanu anachnu b'nei You think those soldiers don't know it? They're the ones teaching it to us 
follow their example, lean in and ride their emuna. It's absolutely extraordinary. And that is this combination. And you see it in our Pasha. Why am I bringing this up now? Because hopefully this will help me write the article if I speak it out, giving you the little preview. But because that's what the Tefer Shmuel is saying. It doesn't say, Yaakov said, I'm just going to lie here. Let the hyenas and the lions and the iguanas come. Hashem wants to protect me, he'll protect me. What does Yaakov Avinu say? We believe in something called Tishtadlis. We believe in something called initiative. I've got to go to the doctor. I've got to get ceramic vests. I've got to have soldiers on the front. I've got to put rocks around my head. If it's cold out, I've got to put on a coat. I want to know. I'm not going to say anything specific. To the people who are endorsing this amuna that we don't need, do they get in the car and not put on a seatbelt? Put on a seatbelt. Why? If Hashem wants you to live, you'll live without needing a seatbelt. Is putting on a seatbelt a lack of amuna and bitachon? Is there something wrong with wearing a seatbelt? There's something wrong with not wearing a seatbelt. Because Hashem says, I, I invented the seatbelt. I taught you the ingenuity. I gave someone who's very wealthy right now, the idea of the seatbelt. <laughs> and use it and wear it, because that's the shtadlis you have to have. When he was running and fleeing from his son, Avshalom, who tries to kill him, he did all the shtadlis that he could. And simultaneously, in parallel, at the exact same time, it has never been a contradiction. It has never been a source of confusion. It has always been a Jewish way to do our hishtadlis and to have our bitachon. And the two complement and the two go hand in hand. Mizmor ledavid bevarchom ibn avshalom beno. Vata Hashem magen ba'adi, kvodi umeirim roshi, ani shachavti va'ishan ha'kitosik Hashem yismacheni. And David HaMelech wrote a whole capital to tell him about it. Hashem, I'm doing my hishtadlis, but while I take up my effort, while I do my initiative, I'm also relying on you. I'm also surrendering to you. After the initiative and effort, he could have gone to sleep with bitachon. We have to do that combination. I take my initiative and my effort, and then I don't worry or panic. If I worry or panic, I don't really believe in Hashem. I put all my faith in my effort. So I have to put my faith in my, I have to take my effort, and then I have to put my faith in Hashem. And is that combination, which is the winning combination, it always was. It's what Yaakov Avinu is exhibiting now with the rocks around his head. It's what David HaMelech exhibited when he ran away. It's what Am Yisrael are exhibiting right now. Our precious soldiers who are prepared and are fighting a war on our behalf. They're taking their initiative while simultaneously putting on their tzitzis and learning the dafyomi in the tank and wearing the tefillin and singing Atira Yisrael because Anachnu Maminim B'nai Maminim. This is what we always have and what we always will believe. We are not worried or confused by it whatsoever. The Labosesh, back to Rav Druk. Back to a piece by Rav Druk. Rashi also tells us, a new question this year I never thought of. It's an amazing thing about the Parsha. Every year you could read it, and every year you say, I learned that a billion times, but I never thought of that question. I never thought of that answer, that insight. The rocks were all arguing. Each one said, what? I want the tzaddik to rest on me. So Hashem combined them all so that I would resolve the argument. How'd that resolve the argument? Yaakov's head didn't get any bigger. 
Yaakov's head was the same size and it would still only fit on whichever piece of this now combined rock would be under his head. How did you resolve the fight? How did it resolve the argument? It's a great question. Never thought of it before. You didn't solve the problem. Yaakov's head's the same size. So whichever rock will have him resting on it will still be the only rock. So the fact that you combined all the rocks into one, what did that solve? A gewaldige kasha. Listen to what Rav Druka answers. You know what was accomplished when you combined them? When rocks saw themselves as 12 separate rocks, they were competing. But when they be combined and unified, when they were united and integrated into one, I don't care that that part of me is that Yaakov's resting on why, because it's all me. It's all me. When the left arm is hurt, the right arm feels the pain. When the right arm gets pleasure, the left arm is grateful. Because when you're guf echad, when you are united and integrated as one, there's no more competition. There's no more, how come you're on you, not me? When it's on you, it is on me. That's how you're one. That's how it's one. And that's how achdus works. Because you understand, this is not some silly Cheder, Gan, kindergarten idea. There were 12 rocks, they were arguing, and Hashem made them one. What was this Medrash really all about? What's it telling and teaching us? 20-something years ago, when I was privileged to be installed as the rabbi of the Bogart Synagogue, a great honor and privilege of my life, I gave a drush, it was Pashas Vayetze, and I spoke about this Medrash. And what did I say, which is essentially the theme and motto of our community? What Yaakov was dreaming was, what am I going to do? I'm going to have 12 sons, and they're going to be competing and comparing, and fighting, and arguing. Each one is going to think it has the monopoly on the truth. It's my hashkaf, it's my derech, it's my nusach, it's my minion, it's my way. And the Kaddish Baruch Hu showed him, no, the answer is, combine them into one. Don't have 12 breakaway shuls, 12 dinners, 12 boards of director, 12 fundraisers, 12 separate shuls. Have one shul on one campus, 12 minyanim. Let each not feel it has to conform let each feel that it doesn't have to conform to the other. Don't force people to forfeit who they are. Let them be 12, but let them be united and integrated. Let them be unified and combined. Unity, not uniformity. Diversity, not divisiveness. That is the motto. That's why I spoke about it then. That's what we still fight for and work on today. That's what Yaakov was worried about. Yaakov is the first one who mitaso shalim. Yaakov is the Bechira avos. Because Avram didn't have this problem. You know why? Sarah said, Chuck Yishmael. He's out. So it was easy. You didn't have to worry about it. Yishmael was just out. And Yitzchak didn't worry about it. You know why? Yaakov, and it was an Esav. Esav was out. But Yaakov is now the first one to have this fear. Why? Because Yaakov mitaso shalim. He's got 12 sons and they're all legit. They're all part of the Jewish story, part of the destiny and future. But he's worried what's going to be. They're not going to be talking to each other. These 12 breakaway shuls, one from the other, competing, not talking, marginalizing, disparaging, judging, criticizing, arguing, debating what's going to be. Each one is going to want me to rest my head on them. What does that mean? 
Each one is going to claim to be, to have a monopoly, to be the only legitimate heir to my legacy. Each one wants me, Yaakov, to rest my head on them because each one wants to say, my derech halimud, my derech hachayim, my hashkafa. That is the only legitimate one. That is the only true one. That is the only real and righteous one. So Yaakov has reason to fear, right? Fast forward to Tavshin Peidal. Does he have reason to fear? He has reason to fear. But Hashem reveals to him in this dream, you know what the answer is? Combine them into one. One Am Yisrael. One Klal Yisrael. One Am Hanetzach. And then, it's not competing or comparing. It's not judging or criticizing. Then it's Eilu Ve'Eilu Diver Lekim Chaim and Shivim Panam Torah. Then, they're all working as one. And they take joy and pride and they also feel the pain and hurt when the other. And are we not seeing that? We're seeing some breaches and breaks to it. But don't focus on that. Don't talk about that. Don't give oxygen to that. Focus on how we've come together. It's extraordinary how the walls have come crumbling down. How segments of the community who you never imagined would feel the pain of the other are feeling unbearable pain for the other. Segments of the community you never thought would step up and help are stepping up and helping, are uniting together with this image and this vision of coming together as one. And this is Rav Druk's answer. Ah, I had you solve the problem. Yaakov's head is the same size. He's still only lying on the stone that's under him. So the answer is, yeah, calls man that it's 12 separate stones. Only the one that's under him gets to say, I am the true heir to Yaakov. Yaakov's resting on me. But once you combine them into one, even though he's only resting on part of it, he's really resting on all of it because they are one. Because they are one. That's the answer. Vichetzkel Abramsky says to how you can be nosei ba'olim chavero. And he talks about not only nosei ba'olim chavero, not only do you feel the pain of the other, not only do you lift and carry the burden of the other when they go through a hard time, the altar of Kelm says, which is harder? To feel the pain of somebody else or to share in the simcha of someone else? So he writes, I've shared this many times. He writes, it's harder to share in the simcha of someone else. You know why? When someone's going through a hard time, you know what you say? Thank God that's not me. So let me at least help them. I'll cook them a meal. I'll drive them. I'll write them a note. I'll check in and visit them. Thank God that's not me. Let me at least help them. But when someone has a simcha, you know what you say? One second. Why isn't that me? I should be having a child. My children should be getting married. I should find my bashert. I should have won the lottery. It should be me. Then it's much harder to be no say in the simcha of chavero. So Rav Yechezkel Abramsky writes, and by the way, I saw research that in fact, modern psychology has caught up to what the Torah always knew and also endorses. Do you know how you can share in the joy and happiness of someone else? When you see them as an extension of you. When their success is not taking away from yours, but their success is your success. Their joy, their breakthrough, their achievement is yours. That's why the Gemara says, Bakol Adam Makana, everybody competes and gets jealous of others. Chutz, mi talmido. Your children and your students you don't compete with. If your child makes more money than you, you say, that's great. They know more Torah than you, that's fantastic. They have more friends, they're more popular than you, that's amazing. It's a really unhealthy person who is competing with their children. Why? Why is it that healthy people don't feel any competition with their own children? Because children are an extension of them. Their success, their happiness, it's all them. I would argue the same thing is true in marriage. 
I've seen marriages where there's a competition, the husband and wife, who is more acclaim, who's more appreciated, who has more success. That's revealing a crack in that marriage. But if it's really a marriage in which you really come together, nothing makes you happier than your spouse's success, than people who praise them, than their achievement and accomplishment, because you're, you're an extension of one another. And that's what the Parsha is teaching. That's what Yaakov Avinu was learning before he sets out, right? We're at the point of the Parsha. Yaakov didn't get married yet. He didn't start having these 12 children yet. Before he begins that process, Hashem is already revealing to him in this dream that don't let them compete. Combine them. When they are one, then they will take pride in each other's success. Ah, the tzaddik is lying on that piece of our rock. No, we're one now. So if he's lying on you, he's lying on me. It's all of our combined success. We're all together. We're all as, we're all as one. We're all as one. It goes on, Rav Jorki is much more on this, but I want to go weiter and see more. Uh, the Amaros Taharos, our first Amaros Taharos of the day, the Rach Meshivka. And he says the following. Because the pasta continues, What is this makom? I didn't tell you I'd get that much further past the first pasuk. I just said past the first pasuk. What is vayifka b'makom? What is vayifka b'makom? What's the makom? Where is he? Yaakov encountered the place. Which place? Could you be more generic, more ambiguous, more mysterious? What is b'makom? What is this place that Yaakov encountered? So the Tefer told, he quotes the Amar Staros, quotes the Tolz Yitzchak. Vayifka b'makom, lo ne'amar be'ez ha'makom ha'yezeh. Umevar ra Yaakov avinu eschur ban mikdash in that moment, Yaakov Avinu was anticipating. He saw that there would be a churban, there would be a destruction of the Batei Mikdash, and there would be four exiles that the Jewish people would live through. It would not be smooth sailing. It wasn't going to be all good times, geshmak to be a yid. Yaakov Avinu, at the beginning of this Jewish journey, already prophesied, he anticipated, and he saw that we're going to go through hard times. There will be four exiles. There would be a period of destructions. There will be the war of Tavshin, Pebez, Pebez Mizeh. There'll be incredible anguish and grief. 62 soldiers, 240 hostages, 1,200 murders. And Yaakov was paralyzed, debilitated. In all of that pain, he couldn't pray. He couldn't daven. And nevertheless, he gave himself chizuk, got himself going, and found the capacity to daven. And what was his tefillah? What was his tefillah, Yaakov? He davened in that place. And what was his tefillah? What was the place he was in? You encounter someone going through a hard time, Hopefully we only know all people going through good times. If someone's ever going through a difficult time and you ask them, how are you doing? Or more accurately, you ask them, how are you doing today? They might say, I'm in a bad place. I'm in a dark place. Why are they invoking the word place? You're in the same place you always are. At Starbucks, at shul, at home. What place are you talking about? When you want to say, I'm struggling, I'm suffering, I feel distant from Hashem. I don't have the energy, the hope, the optimism, the faith. People will say, I'm in a bad place. I'm in a dark place. 
Why are they using that word place? Says the Toldos Yitzchak, Vayifka b'makom, Yaakov was in a bad place. He saw and he understood there would be churban, there would be destruction and devastation and loss and grief and sadness and broken dreams. And he was in a bad place. And what did he do from that bad place? He found the will and the drive to daven. And what did he drive for? What did he daven for? What he daven for was that when Klal Yisrael would be in a bad place, that we too would find the capacity to daven. The Baal Shem Tov says, this is the pshat, you listening? It was worth coming today for this Baal Shem. You ready? He said, the Elega Baal Shem Tov, says later in Sefer Dvarim, Uvikashtem Misham, the name of one of Rav Soloveitchik's great essays and books. Uvikashtem Misham. Uvikashtem Misham es Hashem Lekecha Umatzasa. You will seek, you will desire to find Hashem from that place and you will find Him. When do we read this? Tisha of morning. It's in Dvarim. Uvikashtem Misham, Uvikashtem, Uvikashtem Misham, from there, and you'll find Him. Where's there? Where's the there? Said the Bashem, even when you're a place of Sham, Sham means there, not here. Here means I'm in a good place. I'm in a happy place. I'm in a holy place. Where's there? There is I'm in a bad place. I'm in a dark place. You're looking, you're searching. You know where you can find Hashem? Even when it's even when you say, it feels hopeless and helpless. I'm in a dark place. And that's what it means. Wherever that makom will be. What Yaakov Davin for was that his children and his grandchildren, he encountered the place. And he davened. Whatever place my children and grandchildren will be in, a good place, a happy place, a sad place, a dark place, whatever place they'll be in in life, whatever they'll respond when someone says, how are you doing today? I'm in a good place. I'm in a bad place. Whatever place they'll be in, the place, they will always be able to daven. Wherever our place, they will always find Hashem, will always find the will to be able to daven. That's what the base Aaron says. And whatever place he will be in. And that's what the Karlin of Shlomo Karlin says. The Medrash tells us, With all of your heart, all of your hearts. Sometimes we feel Hashem doesn't love me. Where is Hashem? How could this happen? We're in a bad place. We feel far away. Even when you feel far away, don't be so far away from the makom. We spoke about this, I think, last week or a few weeks ago. And we could add this to our list of hamakom yenachim eschem. Baruch hamakom, baruch When we see the word hamakom, vayifka bamakom. Whenever we use the name of Hashem, makom, what are we referring to? Makom means, the makom is talking about when we are in a bad place, far away from Hashem, from Hashem place. Rav Soloveitchik also speaks about this. Says the Rav. Rav Soloveitchik also deals with Vayifka Bamakom. The paradigmatic figure who found Hashem despite his transcendence is the prophet Yechezkel. Yechezkel's prophetic revelation took place not in the Beis Mikdash nor 
in the land of Israel. Rather, this is the word that the Rav used, where did Yechezkel's prophetic revelation take place? In a concentration camp in the midst of the bitter Babylonian exile. Where? Al Naroz Bavel, Sham Yashavnu Gambachinu. Yet, despite the fact that it was a time of acute Hester Panim, the heavens opened up and Yechezkel saw the vision of Hashem. When Yechezkel declared, Baruch Kvod Hashem, Mim Komo, Baruch Kvod Hashem Mim Komo, what we say in our davening, comes from Yechezkel. Blessed is the glory of Hashem. What word does he use, Yechezkel? Mim Komo. He was referring to the huge distance between Hashem and his people. Yaakov similarly encountered Hashem in a time of travail, penniless, fleeting his brother on the road to exile. Yaakov also perceived Hashem as Makom. You got to love it when the Hasidish Svarim and the Rav, when they all say the same thing. Vayifke b'makom. He's adding another connection, another element. That Yechezkel from Golos Bavel and coming from that dark place introduced when we say Baruch Kvod Hashem, Mimkomo. We can see the glory of Hashem even, Mimkomo. Uvikashtem from where? Misham. Chazal interpret the word Makom, continues the Rav, in the context of Tefillah, both in regard to Yaakov and Avram. Chazal indicate that Avram instituted the Shachar's prayer based on the Pasuk, Vayashkem Avram Baboker El, Hamakom Asher Amad Sham. When Avram introduced Shacharis, where was he standing? Makom. And, based on this Pasuk in which the word Makom also appears, they suggest Yaakov instituted Marev. The word Makom has the connotation of an appointment, a date, a rendezvous, in a certain place at a certain time. Tefillah is a rendezvous with Hashem, which ideally takes place at a specific time and at a specific place every day. That's why the word Makom is used. Makom means rendezvous in time and in place. Tefillah should be a rendezvous in time and place with Hashem. That's why the Torah uses the word Makom for Avram, for Shacharis. And the Torah uses the word Makom for Yaakov here, for Marev. He's Rosh HaMagiyah Shamayma, Pasuk Yud Bez, third Pasuk. Vayachalom, he has a dream being Yisul Mutzavar, Rosh HaMagiyah Shamayma. There's a ladder that's standing on the ground, but it's facing the heavens. And the angels are going up and going down. We all know the angels are going in the wrong direction. What is the image of this, of this ladder? So two ideas of the Amaros Tahoros, and then one idea from Rav Sternbach, which will round us out and cover the first tenth of what I wanted to share with you. So what does it mean that this ladder was rooted on the ground, but stretched up to the heavens. So the Panam Yafos, the Amaras Taros quotes, teaches us, what does it mean to be rooted on the ground? The more rooted you are on the ground. What does it mean to be rooted in the ground? Humility. Then, If you want to go high spiritually, you have to go low with modesty and humility. The higher you think you are, the harder it is to pierce the heavens. If you want to pierce the heavens with Ruchnias, only when you're Mutz of Arza can you be Rosha Magia Hashamayma. Isn't that a beautiful Panam Yafos? If you want to experience, so it, this is a good metric. If somebody's struggling to connect to Tefillah, if they're struggling to collect, connect to Emuna, if they're struggling to connect to spirituality, the first place to check is, am I practicing enough humility and modesty? <laughs> Am I struggling with arrogance and envy? Because those are the obstacles that interfere with Rosha Magia Hashamayma. When you're Mutzav Arza, 
then you could be Rosha Magia Shamaima. But if you're not Mutzavartza, if you don't have the humility, then you can't be Rosha Magia Shamaima. You're going to struggle to ascend, to pierce the heavens, to be able to find Hashem. The second idea that Marasaros quotes about this is the Oiv Yisrael, the great Heliga Aptarov. And the Aptarov, Rabbi Shai Heshel says the following. He says, Sula Mutzavartza, Kloma Shada Mutzav Besoch Artsios Vagashmios, but Rosha Magia Shamaima. We live a life that's mutzav artsa. You have to live in the physical world. You have to live in the here and now. So that's what relates to what we were talking about before. The connection of hishtadlas and amuna, initiative with faith. You have to live mutzav artsa. You have to have an army. You have to have soldiers. They have to have weapons. You have to go to the doctor. You have to go to work. You have to earn a living. You have to live in the artsa. You have to be mutzav artsa. You have to live in the physical world. You have to live in the here and now. But... While we live there, while our ladder is rooted there, we also have to be Rosha Magia Hashemaima. We have to know what will bring success at work and in business. What will be success in the courtroom, the operating room, and the boardroom? What will be success in the battlefield? Only when it's Rosha Magia Hashemaima. It is that combination that has always been the formula of a Yid, the connection of Ishtadlas and Amuna and Bitachon, of initiative, our effort, but our faith. And that says the Aptarov is the Pshat. Mutzav Artsa, but Rosha Magia Shamaima. We have to connect all of that. What does Rav Sternbach say? Rav Sternbach says the following. Nimtza Sulam, Rashi tells us this Sulam, where was it? Raglav, the feet of the ladder were in Beersheva. The Rosha, the head of the ladder, was in Beit El. Magia Emtza Shipua Neged, Yerushalayim. So if the, this is a long ladder. The feet of the ladder are in Beersheva and the top of the ladder is in Beit El, what does the ladder go over? The slope of the ladder passes over Yerushalayim. In the Sefer Tam Vedas, Ramosha Sternbach, Shlita, explains, the ladder represents our effort to bridge heaven and earth. Mutzav Arts, the ladder being rooted on the ground of the mitzvahs we do in this world. Reaching up to the heavens represents that the mitzvahs that we do in the here and now in this world climb that ladder, that stairway to heaven, to reach Hashem. And where does it stretch over to get there? The Kodesh HaKadoshim. Because that's the window through which our tefilos ascend. So we create the angels with our good deeds that climb up that ladder. And when we make mistakes, when we fall short, we bring the angels down the ladder. This insight is given by countless commentators, but Rav Sternbach takes it one step further. And listen to what he says. He says, since there were corporations and careers, people have been trying to climb. He doesn't say this. This is my metaphor. What word do we use in the vernacular? We say, trying to climb the corporate ladder. What's the corporate ladder? IBM, they have ladders. Microsoft, they have ladders. Corporations, when you go to work, corporate America, Chase, Regeneron, they're ladders. There's no ladders. What's the corporate ladder? It's a euphemism. It means to go from an entry-level position to get to senior management, to become a senior executive. Career advancement follows higher rungs on a ladder with the goal to climb higher and higher, to have seniority, to have power, to make more money. Says of Sternbach, we don't believe in the corporate ladder. That is not the dream that Yaakov had. Rav Sternbach draws our attention to one particular word in the Rashi. What's the word in the Rashi? Shipuo. What does that mean? A ladder never stands straight. If you try to stand the ladder straight, what's going to happen? It will topple over and fall on your head and you deserve it. Because everybody knows you can't stand the ladder up straight. 
What is necessary to make a ladder work? A ladder has to lean against a wall. A ladder has to be on a angle. Shipuo. When one is standing on the ladder resting on a rung, says Rav Sternbach, listen to this. Unlike the corporate ladder, when you climb it, you're higher than others. The ladder that Yaakov dreamt of is on an angle, which means that whatever rung you're on, you're not higher or lower than anyone else. All equally have the heavens above them and the earth below them. Every rung you look up, you see Shemayim. Every rung you look down, you see Aretz. Each rung you look up and down and see the same thing. And though the rung represents advancement in a direction, nobody is in fact higher. Nobody has more or less access to or connection with the heavens or the earth. Every one of us, says Rav Sternbach, is on our own rung. We are on our own climb. And looking in front or behind us will only distract us and divert us from our personal ambition and from pursuing our unique mission. Don't climb a corporate ladder to get above others. Climb Yaakov's ladder on an angle where we all equally see the heavens above and the earth below, and we're just trying to make progress. We're just trying to go forward. We each have a different job. We each start out on a different rung on the ladder. We each climbing in the same direction, but we start on a different rung. And each of us have to find where we're meant to be. President Teddy Roosevelt once said, Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. Don't look where else everyone else is on the ladder. Don't rob yourself of the joy of your life. Just go forward. Just go on your way. And that shipuo, the angle of this ladder, makes all the difference here. We just got started. There's a lot more to say. Please stay, remain for Tehillim. If you're not yet part of the Parsha Perspective WhatsApp group, you're missing out. On bonus divrei Torah, the Parsha write-up, the schedule. So join the Parsha WhatsApp group so you can stay informed. Please stay now for Tehillim. Please take flags on your way out. We continue tomorrow. 10 minutes of meaning and living with Amunah.